Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. Hello, all you good humans. It is absolutely great to be back in podcast world. It's been a couple months off for me. I've been overseas. I've been focusing on a few other things, but I'm very, very excited to be back recording. We've got some huge episodes coming up. This little next run in good humans podcast is going to be a little bit different to my last 25 episodes. I'm going to be going a little bit out of athletes, still having some great athlete conversations, but I'm going to be going to a whole bunch of different people. Doesn't have to be a huge profile. Just wants to be people who are really doing good things in this world. So I'm going to bring highlights of a whole bunch of amazing humans. And yeah, hopefully you're going to enjoy listening to them. Back into first episode today. I am really excited for this chat. I was very intrigued watching this girl. She was on Big Brother this year. And Watching her from the outside, I was like, she looks a bit smarter than she's making out to be on this show. And she played the game amazingly. And since she's left the house, she's become a really big social media star. But the thing that really inspires me about this girl is she's so, so unapologetically herself. She's so open to making mistakes and she's so open to taking accountability for those mistakes. This is a great conversation. I had a really good time getting to know this girl a lot better. So welcome to the podcast, Tilly Whitfield. How are you going, Till? I'm well, thanks. How are you? I'm very well. It's nice to be back in Sydney for a little while and getting to catch up with you. But this podcast is all about you and I'm excited to get to know you a little bit more. You've come on the radar of the whole of Australia in the last year or six months, I guess, and we've all fallen in love with you. But let's go back to the original story. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? What was your childhood like? Do you have siblings? Let's rewind a little bit. So, I actually have quite a cool like childhood. I lived, I grew up on a farm. Then we moved to like the northern beaches. Then we moved to kind of the east. And then I lived in Malaysia for a year with my two brothers and my mum and dad. Interesting. How yeah. old were you when you did that? So, Malaysia, I was 11. So, that was pretty cool. And what took you over there? Family? Work, well, stuff? we actually figured out it's cheaper to rent a house in Malaysia and then travel the whole of Asia, then just stay in Australia and then go back and forth. So we just did it for a year. No way, that was fun. Yeah, it was so cool. And you went to school over there? Mm-hmm. We did. English-speaking school? Yeah, but you had to learn Malaysian. How's your Malaysian now? Nah, not good. <laughs> <laughs> not that good. Not that good. <laughs> no, that's good. So you've got two brothers? Yeah, two brothers, 18, no, 19 and 16. And you're 20? I'm 21. 21. I'm nearly 22. Oof, I'm getting old. Yeah, I know. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. So, growing up as a kid, what sort of values did your parents instill in you? What were the kind of traits that your family held very closely? So, my parents like polar opposites. Like, my mum's like the devil, like, and then my dad's like an angel. So, my dad's actually a psychologist. So, 
he's very morally correct and like very un- well put together. Can I swear? Because yeah, my mum's like fucked. <laughs> and like she's just very like fuck people before you get fucked over and stuff. Like she has a very like different way about going about things. And I think like that's why I have like a good balance because I have both. Mm, I like that. Yeah. Saucy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So growing up, so when you grew up, what kind of hobbies were you into? What were, were you into sport? Were you more into academic stuff? Um, I was definitely very academic. Like I always cared about my grades and stuff. But sport-wise, my parents made me do every sport. Like I had to do soccer, like I had to do surfing, nippers, the whole lot. Like they were those parents. Dance, tried it all. But yeah, I've always just wanted to do random shit and do my own thing. Like I never really wanted to stick to any of those sort of things. Oh, it's interesting. So you've surfed a little bit? Yeah, I've surfed a little bit, done a bit of everything. Just a little bit of everything and nothing yeah. took you fancy, nothing took... No. Like I just like to be very free and just do whatever I want. Like I feel like if you have something like a team sport or something, you're very confined to those restrictions like having the trainings and stuff and that was the issue with me because I just like to be free and do whatever I want to do. Mm, I like that. I like yeah. that idea of trying everything but not going too deep into stuff but yes. I mean you get the balance so sometimes having that discipline is good in certain ways but obviously the sort of personality that you have it sounds like you like being free yeah and doing no 100% whatever you like getting up to all right let's fast forward high school what was your high school experience like I went to four high schools tell me about that I went to McKellar and I just did not like it I was in the academic program and it was very like you have to get like good grades and stuff. And I was like, I don't like, I'm in year seven and like I wanna have fun. And then I went to Stella and it was private school and I was like, yuck, like this wasn't for me. Then, but then I got moved to Barker cause I was quite like badly behaved at Stella. So I went to Barker. Then Barker was too much of a private school. I was like, hell no, left there and went to Freshie and I love Freshie. Oh, what did you study at Freshie? What were you kind of majors? Um. I did all the easy shit. I did food technology. I did art. I did advanced English, PD, modern history. And I have to have done one more. It'll come to you. Yeah, it'll come just, to Just me. for anyone listening. So we live on the, I grew up on the Northern Beaches too, just around the corner from where Till lives. And Freshwater High School is like your last two years of high school you can kind of leave your normal high school and go to the senior high school and it's a bit more flexible with trying subjects that are a bit more real world and a lot of my friends went there and yeah obviously Tilly went there to finish it's kind of the school that anyone who wants to go and have fun and doesn't fit perfectly into the normal school system usually ends up at Freshie to expand their mind to something a little bit more outside the normal confines of high school yeah yeah I reckon that puts it perfectly and it's like it's good because I feel like um, most private schools which are around here and then obviously the um, public education, they're all single sex. So I think it was really interesting to see people go there and be at a school with boys and girls because that replicates the real world environment, which I don't feel like public schools and private schools often do with that like single sex education. Mm. So I think it was actually good to have boys and girls. Yeah, it's an interesting outtake. I mean, I went to Narrabeen just down the road here. So yeah. I went to male, female my whole way through high school. And I've never, I've, like you said, it is super not real world just being surrounded by the same sex for so long. And then straight into, like for you, into freshwater would have been a bit of a shock and a bit, you probably would have grown up so quickly in that two years. Well, that I went to Barker prior to that. Uh-huh. So, and because Barker is only goes into boys and girls in year 10, like, 
the boys had no idea what to do with the girls. Mm. They were so awkward. They were so socially awkward. They couldn't talk to like them. They couldn't do anything. And it was just such a shock to me because I came from here where we're all so chill and like we don't care like what other people think. We're all best friends with boys and girls. Like, And it was such a like shock to my system to go to this school where nobody had drank alcohol, like ever, nobody had touched a girl, nobody had kissed a girl. And I was like, oh my God, what is going on? All right, I'm going to, this was going to be later in the podcast, yeah. but I want to chat to you about this because this is probably a good little run into it. Maybe a bit awkward, but you're very good on social media and with your profile on bringing up conversations that are quite difficult. What's your thoughts on when it comes to like sexual education? Because you're very open about talking yeah. about stuff like that on your socials because it is quite taboo and especially it probably comes a lot from, like you said, the boys came to... The, when they started seeing girls at school, it completely changes their mindset. So what's your take on that when it comes to school? What was your education around that like? And it's probably non-existent, to be honest. For me, it pretty much was non-existent, anything to do with sex at school. Yeah, well, okay, this just sounds like crazy. But honestly, I didn't know about like STIs and stuff. And then I go into Big Brother and they're like, go and get an STI test, which is like a swab, like you pee in a cup and you get like a blood test. And I was like, wait, what's this for? And like, I thought like... STIs is like a thing that you like I didn't think it was a thing like I was like oh they're just scaring us in high school but it really wasn't like explained to you Mm. like I didn't know like how like herpes is literally stuck with you for life like chlamydia yeah you can get rid of it you take a tablet like gonorrhea like I didn't know you have to tell your sexual partner legally if you have something like so I started doing all this research after I had to get an STI test because I was like what the fuck we were never taught this and mind you, I was 20 years old. Like, that's pretty mm. fucking bad. Like, thank God I had nothing. But I was like, when we were taught about condoms and stuff in high school, it's so you don't get pregnant. It's not mm. so you don't get an STI, right? Mm. Don't you agree with that? Like, you were taught, like, you don't want to get pregnant. It's like, oh, if you're not on the pill, you have to use a condom. But it's like, no, regardless if you're on the pill, you still don't want an STI. But we were never taught that. Mm. So yeah. bad. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting take on it. And I think there's so many subjects in school that the school and the education system are failing us sexual education being one mental health being another one which we're going to talk about shortly because that's obviously what good humans podcast underlying theme is mental health because it's something that i obviously am very touched by and the good human factory my little mental health thing um yeah is everything to me and i know it's super important to you which we will touch on shortly but let's talk about high school's finished what was the goals and dreams and aspirations for tilly and have they changed now yeah so I just thought, like, I'm going to be that, like, typical person that goes and finishes my degree and then I'll go travelling. And just, like, that was so unrealistic because I set my goal to get, like, an ATAR that was over 91 and I was like, I just need 91 to get into business. So I got my ATAR, like, I was fine, I got into business. And I was like, this is not what I thought it was. Uni is not what I thought it would be. Like, I don't like this course. But high school tells you that you're meant to get into a course, you're meant to stick to it and stick it out, but I hated it. So I ended up doing four different courses and I'm only just on my fourth course now that I've found that I liked. How difficult has been that transition? Can you maybe tell me, tell the listeners what those four courses have been, how long you're in each one? And something that I, I listened to your podcast with um, Nath yesterday yeah. for a bit of research and I was really inspired by the way that you're very happy to change and so many people get so fixated on all right I've locked into this uni subject oh I'm locked into paying for it I have to finish it and do something and stick to it and are unhappy for so long what was your 
thought process with changing subjects and or like changing courses and just backing yourself with that yeah see that's the thing that i think is so sad because like you think oh i'm in twenty thousand dollars debt like is twenty thousand dollars like worth like your happiness and your future like do you know what i mean in the big scheme of things it's not that much money you're gonna pay it off the government's got you sorted so it's like i don't have fear with that like i trust in myself that i'll be able to sort that out and like it is People find it scary to change, like, but I think, like, fear is what drives us and makes us do cool things and stuff. So I'm like, if I want to change, like, I'm going to do it. And it's so easy to change. Like, UAC and everything makes it the system so easy. And, like, everyone's so friendly at uni. Like, it's so, like, it's fun. It's, like, easy. Like, I feel like people shouldn't be afraid to change course. And I think that's really sad that there's a stigma around it that you should stick with what you've chosen and just wait it out and think, oh, I'll start liking it in third year. You won't, mm. you know? So what are the courses you had studied? So the first one, I did business at UTS. And I was like, yeah, did not like that. Too much maths. I was thinking it was innovation, making products, like marketing and stuff. But it was finance, stats, like all the shit. I was like, no. Then I went to um, UNSW and I did journalism. And it just, the vibe of the uni wasn't right for me. I was like, that it was very predominantly, like, this is, I honestly, like, I should be careful saying this, but this is not me being racist, but I really need to, like, work with other people and thrive off other people. And people weren't speaking English there. And I was like, I'm in a journalism course. The purpose of this is to learn to talk to people and interact with people. Yeah, mm. it's communication. And I was like, God, I'm in a class where I'm the only one that's talking. And that was a big no for me. I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing this for the next four years of my life. So I left there and went and basically did the same thing at UTS. And I was like, you know what? Like, this is more what I wanted. But then Big Brother came up. So I went on the show. And then during the show, because I'd had to drop out of UTS, my dad was like, oh, by the way, you got accepted into Sydney Uni into a similar course. So I did that. Yeah. I find it so interesting, the idea that people go to uni to study business when in our days to create a business it needs to be innovative anyway and be different that I mean I've obviously a good case for it like I haven't gone to uni but I've got a kind of successful business now and it's like I've learned so much on my feet and the amount of times that I talk to people who are doing business and I know more about so much stuff because I'm the one in the real world like I build I've built my own website I created a whole podcast I like just by 100% by the mindset I got told a couple of years ago by my psychologist that active confidence comes before the feeling of confidence and I know you guys spoke about that yeah. in your podcast um, with Nath and it's really cool that he's listened to that quote because for me that's everything I always kind of went like the fear is what can either scare you from something or drive you towards something and now I kind of lean into the fear and I go what's the worst that can happen? Like I stuff up something that I'm not good at. Like I'm clearly not good at it. It's the first time I've done it. Like you can't go into stuff expecting to be really good at it. But if you act like you're confident and you know, it's going to like, it, it works a wonder for me. That's kind of the whole last three years of building a business and building the good human factory is just being like, Oh, I don't know how to public speak in front of people. And I stand up in front of 500 kids at a time and talk about mental health now, which is like, I haven't studied much other than just gone out and look for stuff. Cause there's so much great information out yeah. there from YouTube to books and having that responsibility and curiosity of the world is so important, I think. And it sounds like you've kind of gathered that now as well with your business that you're looking, that you're starting at the moment. So we will touch on that later too. But 
let's go. This is something that I'm interested to talk to you about. So you've spoken in other podcasts and through the media that prior to the Big Brother house, you're in a bit of a dark place. Can you, as much as you're willing to, tell me what that was from, if there was any underlying reasons why you're feeling that way and how you got yourself out of those dark places? Yeah, well, okay. I had like severe like OCD like my whole life. It started in like year three exactly like I can remember like the first time I was like holy shit and it was with numbers and stuff and like odd numbers and stuff were like really triggering and it was like affecting me throughout like high school my grades and everything and that was the first thing because people don't realize how much OCD fucks you up Mm. and everyone thinks it's oh I want to be like a neat freak like I'm trying to make sure everything's clean it's not, it's so, like, consuming, it's so fucked up what OCD does to you. Mm. And that was, like, the first thing before I got anything fixed and, like, talked to anyone. Yeah. How's that with your dad being a psychologist? Well, see, that was very convenient because he obviously, like, would have recognised the signs and the symptoms and he was able to direct it when I went to the psychologist because often... A psychologist is going to misdiagnose you. They only know what you're telling them. Mm. But if somebody's observing you every day, they're going to more so be able to say, not diagnose you because obviously he's my dad, but he could say to the psychologist, hey, look, this is this, 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 this is what's happening. Mm. And it helped a lot. Because it's very hard as a patient to communicate to a psychologist how they're feeling because we don't very often, society finds it very difficult to talk about their feelings to each other, especially men, but... In all people, it's hard to communicate how you're feeling to a psychologist. And like you said, so many people must get misdiagnosed. For one, for lack of communication, but for two, for fear of telling people how they're really feeling. And yeah, I just don't think many people know. And that's why for me, it's so important to like meditate and have the self-awareness of how you're feeling and take a step back from the fast-paced life we're living through. But So what was your experience with that once you saw a, psycho- so you saw a psychologist? Did that, was that helpful for you? Um, so the talking part, I didn't find therapeutic. Like I'm the person that really needs to just do it on my own. Like you said, how you meditate and you recognize your feelings. I'm that person that can literally sit there and I will just deal with my feelings on my own. And people say like, you need to talk to someone, but I don't like, Mm. I think that is, if your coping mechanism is to just be by yourself and like appreciate your own feelings and what you're going through, I think that's very like mature and that's very helpful but I also got on fluoxetine which was an antidepressant and that helped with like the depression and the anxiety that was coming from the OCD so that definitely helped but that just made me so brain dead man that medication is fucked Mm. like so bad I wouldn't recommend it to anyone yeah I've I've got a really good book. I'm going to actually... Do you read much? Yeah, I read. So there's a book called Lost Connections Mm -hmm. and it's all about mental health and it's like I feel like I've been doing mental health stuff the last couple of years and I read, I've almost finished it at the moment and I've learned so much that we're not told about like when it came to um, any depressants, it was all about like change that mental health issues, a chemical imbalance in your brain, but it's almost been proven now that it definitely is to a couple percent, but it's more so about your situation that you've been in, your trauma that you've dealt with the friendship circles you're in, the kind of connections that you have with people, yet we're kind of sold so often that it's like, here, take this pill and you're going to feel better. And it's like, no, the chemical imbalance is because of something else. And yeah, the, anyway, i got to give you this book. Anyone listening, Lost Connections, it's 
unbelievable book and it'll change the way that you think about mental health because he goes really deeply into how pharmaceutical companies used the chemical imbalance as a marketing tool and now that's what all every everything's run by the pharmaceuticals but that's not what this podcast is about because i can chat for days about that stuff yeah that's so true but when i remember this friend she's a fucking bitch i'm not friends with her anymore but i remember she said to me uh she was like um your antidepressants are all placebo there's nothing in that tablet like and like because everyone was going off this like chemical imbalance crap but you're so right it is literally the situations that you've been put in and the stuff that like is surrounding you that creates that like you can have that chemical imbalance whatever but like other stuff has to trigger it Mm. you know a hundred percent so that's bs yeah definitely but uh, seriously that book will change the way you think about mental health i'll get it for you i'll get it for you as a little gift for christmas but (laughs) (laughs) i've I've said that to three people i've got three of them i got a book buy so it's all good i'll put you on the list (laughs) um okay so big brother crazy experience tell me about big brother tell me actually let's go to the start how did it come about what made you want to apply for big brother and what was the application process like um, so I was just like in a pretty bad place. Like everyone says like you lose your high school friends and like that had finally happened. And like I was very aware of like what was happening and my mom lost all her work through COVID. So honestly, like I wasn't spending any money or anything. Like I was like trying to help out my family. Um, and my mom's a designer and like done big international stuff. Like she's very successful. So all her work was gone, so I was, like, depressed over that because my mum was depressed. I was, like, had lost all my friends. Like, I'm not even saying that. Like, I was not going out on the weekend. Like, I had, like, really bad anxiety and stuff. Um, I was always fascinated by the human experiment behind it. Like, these reality shows, I was very aware of the fact that this is all a human experiment. This is all just playing with your mind. Like, I knew that before I went in, and that was perhaps why I was good at the game. But... That intrigued me so much and I knew that that self-awareness was like a reason that I would be good in there. So I just gave it a crack. But the whole audition process, I'd like had these dreams and just like the universe sounds Mm. fucked. But like I just knew I was in. Mm. Like I knew for a while like something's coming, like something's coming. I didn't know what it was and I just knew that that was it. Do you know what I mean? How hard is it to trust that? It's not hard to trust that because... You just have to trust yourself. In the end, you only have yourself. Mm. Like, you don't have anyone else. Like, your family, like, yeah, that's it. But besides that, everyone's here for their own interests, you know? Yeah. So I just had to knew, like, your gut is so incredible. And these things that, like, are coming to me in dreams and stuff, like, I don't think I'm psychic, but everything always is coming true in my dreams. And I don't have them often, but I have them. And they're weird, they don't make sense, but then the thing happens and I'm like, okay, that's what it is. And like, I just knew. Manifesting. Yeah, it is manifesting mm. and it's cringe. Like, people think, oh, I wish I get a million dollars. Like, that's what I'm manifesting to get a million dollars. No, you have to go and work for it. Mm. Like, it's not just to manifest it. Like, you actually put it into the world and then you go and do it for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. You can't just expect stuff to happen. You have to give yourself the opportunity. Yes, and they're the people that say manifesting's bullshit. No, manifesting is not bullshit. You just have to work for it. Yeah. It's the lazy people that think, oh, 11, 11, I'm going to make a wish and it's going to come true. No, you're not going to win the lottery. Mm. You need to go and like make yourself that money, you know? Let's talk about making it happen because I know your application process, it sounds like 
you played the game from the start. You're always very conscious of the way that you're perceived in the house, but you sounds like you're always very conscious of how you're perceived in the application process too. What was that journey like? So in the application process, I understood that to them I was a product. Like I'm not a person, like I'm just like a player in this game, but who I am is completely irrelevant. How they market me is everything. So I knew like I was had to give them what value am I to them what part do I play what persona am I offering as a character some would say in their game and like what boxes do I tick because in the end it's about ticking boxes right Definitely. that's what the casting is mm. like you get your person from like Spain you get your person from here you want to hear something funny yeah I got headhunted like last minute for the, your season. Yeah, you told me. Oh, I did tell you that. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Have done it. No, I didn't get called back because I didn't play the game like you. They're like, so what are you going to bring to the house? And I was like, I'll probably like teach everyone to meditate in the morning. And they're like, yeah, see you later, mate. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, the boring, boring yeah. mental health guy. Yeah. So yeah, I got half head hunted and then oh. didn't get the didn't get the third call back. But looked like you guys had a lot of fun in. There. Yeah, no, so, it was fun. All right, I want to touch on this quickly when you got into. The house, you had your TikTok freckle thing. Tell me about that. Like, I can't even explain to you how depressing that was because everything, it had already been such a bad year. I did not let the cameras, I said, stop filming me when it was off. I slept every night with a mask on. Now I don't care. I'm like, whatever. But at the time, I was so embarrassed by that. I told everyone it was a microneedling injury. I like, I didn't tell anyone what it was. I thought the producers wouldn't put me on the show. (laughs) No way. Yeah, so, so tell me what happened. Tell, tell the listeners what happened. So, it's funny. You can own well, it. It's you funny now. It now. I have a laugh about it now. <laughs> At the time, I was traumatised. But I literally just saw a TikTok video of a girl tattooing her own freckles. I ordered the ink on eBay. I ordered the needles on eBay because you can't really get it anywhere else because it's dodgy. Like, no one sells that shit because you're going to sue them when it goes bad. Hence, I got it on eBay for like $20. Oof. And it's like when I woke up in the morning after I'd done it, I did it in the dark because... I was like, if my parents come in, they're going to kill me. Like, what am I doing? And I was, like, confident in myself. The girl said it lasts for three months. And I was like, it looked cute on BB, right? Like, I'm like, I went up to wear makeup. I'll just lie in the sun. I'm going to have freckles. And then I woke up in the morning and there was scabs over my entire face. Like, so bad. So what and you I, do? You, like, dip needles in ink and yeah. then pinprick your yeah, face? Yeah, pretty much. But I obviously went way too deep, which I didn't know. Didn't sterilise the needle or anything like that. And then in the morning I was like, fuck, like, how am I going to hide this? Get my makeup brush, put makeup all over my face. What I didn't realise is when you're, like, girls on a night out, they're like, hey, want some makeup? Like, I'll fix your face up. Every time you're putting it on someone else's face, bacteria. Every time you put it back in your back, bacteria. Every time you touch a beauty blender, bacteria. I literally infected my own face. Oh. By putting makeup on. That plays very much into your category that you put yourself in on the show, though, exactly. to play dumb. Exactly. <laughs> I, but you know how everything happens for a reason. Like, I truly believe that. And for me to say in my audition, they were like, what happened to your face? Like, I was like, oh, it was some microneedling thing that I did at home. They are obviously like, this bitch is dumb. Like, they obviously wanted it, right? Like... I kind of like, I'm like, okay, that's why that happened, you know? Mm, yeah. But I love that you own it. I love that yeah. you take accountability because so many people have, make a mistake and don't take accountability for it. Like yeah. try and blame somebody else. And it's like, I love that you no, took accountability with it. <laughs> so let's talk about in the house. Playing dumb was kind of the, because that's how I discovered you. I saw you yeah. on Big Brother and I was like, this chick's cool. I was like, this chick is just fun, having a good time, 
but you could always tell that there was more to you than like you're winning challenges you like the best thing was when you got in that bus at the start and you put the earplugs in the airplane in your nose <laughs> fully calculated you knew they were earplugs bloody oath i knew they were earplugs it's like but people don't know that shit like they're thinking like that i'm actually stupid i'm like obviously i did that so you guys would think that but, mm. and i was also like playing producers like you know that like obviously it is my personality but you amplify it like I was going in there to entertain people because mm. in my mind I knew producers would probably help me out and keep me in longer. See, that's smart. See, when I had the idea that I might be going in, I was like, I'm just going to try win every challenge. I'm going to like be everyone's friend. I reckon I would have been out in about a week. I would have been probably the guy <laughs> that thought he was too good and won a challenge and then everyone voted out. But you seem to like slide under the radar really well. What did the, How was that? Like being in a house where you were playing a game, was it, it was super calculated. Watching you do it, it was like, I thought if I went in, I'd just go have fun and see what happened. But you sound like you went in there, not to win the game, but to entertain people and to have fun and to, yeah, play what was a good game in the end because you got stitched up at the end. But what was the most challenging thing when you're in there? Was it hard to stay in character that whole time? Because you've, you've almost said you pretty much were in character most of the time. It would have been taxing. Well, like, it's still like it wasn't, in character, I was my personality. But, like, everything I was doing is, like, shit that I would actually do. It was more like i just do something random when I was around, like, the other housemates. Mm. Like, when I'd go in the diary room, I was completely myself. Like, I was, like... And when I was around people that I trusted, completely myself. Mm. But when I was around other people, I was like, okay, you have to be an idiot. And, like, I'm also aware of the fact that they want good shit for TV. They mm. need good shit for TV. So I'm like oh, what's something funny that I can do? What's something funny that I can say? And I'm not, like, putting it on. Like, that is me. But it's, like, being more conscious of being a fun, entertaining person. So that did get tiring because, like, you're not going to get airtime if you're sitting on the couch, mm. you know? Like, you're going to get airtime if you're going around, running around the hallways doing stupid shit. And this wasn't about airtime for me. This was about the fact that I genuinely believed that they would keep me on the show if I was more entertaining. Yeah. As yeah. much as they try and get rid of some people, like yeah. as much as they try make it out, like it's not, not that it's rigged, but there's definitely like places, people that get helped, like, yeah, I don't know, yeah, watching well, it, there Danny was... Hayes, like he had a pretty good run, like yeah. a few people had a good run and you know what, those people were giving the producers what they needed, they knew what they were doing, mm, so the they fire. deserved that, you yeah, know, for sure. they made the show what it was. Some so... of those challenges looked like. I was like, some of the challenges must have been stopped. like watching like because I'm really good friends with Katie Williams. Yeah. So watching her and some of the challenges not win the fitness ones is like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been tough, eh? A lot of the challenges would have been so draining and different to what they would have looked on TV. Yeah, well, they went genuinely for hours. But another thing that you have to understand is people weren't all there for genuine reasons. So like people who genuinely needed it, like. Fuck, I needed that money, man. Like, and I needed to be there for myself because I was just so lost last year. That, like, drive, pain becomes nothing. You do not feel it anymore. Like, mm. I had, I would say in my head, pain is temporary, pain is temporary. So it's, like, it looks like those challenges are hard, yes, but, and you have somebody who's as fit as Katie, but, like, it's how mm. bad do you want it because I would have bled and I wouldn't have cared. Like, I would have stayed there. I would have pissed myself on a challenge. I wouldn't have cared. Like, but that's when it comes into that. Like, yeah, those challenges are hard, but how bad do you want it? Like, pain is pain. Like, it goes mm. away, you know? Like, if you really wanted it, 
you would tolerate that pain. Yeah, I've got another good book for you. Mm-hmm. So this the two books that I recommend highly yeah. to anyone listening, and this brings me perfectly to it. There's a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth, mm-hmm. and it's all about the psychology behind somebody who's gritty, who has resilience, will outweigh somebody who has talent every single day. And there's a whole bunch of data behind it, and this book's unbelievable. And it's a really good testament to what you were just saying. Like you might be the fittest, you might be the strongest. But if you don't want it the most, you're going to get beaten by the person who wants it the most pretty often. So it's a good little leeway into pushing that book. That, that is was, so true. Yeah, it's a really good book. It's really interesting. And it's backed by a lot of data and a lot of mm-hmm. science. Actually, no, I'm going to bring something else. With yeah. I'll bring something else up with you <laughs> later. But um, in the house, how important was having healthy relationships with people? For one, for the game, but for two, for your mental health to be able to stay sane. Because how many days were you in there in the end? Um, so I was in there for 58 days. But, yeah, the relationships is the most important thing. And I naturally am very able to talk to people. I'm not an awkward person. So I did have a healthy relationship with, like, every single person in that house. I was actively making sure I knew every person in that house. I don't know if you remember my first... That one time I was up for eviction at the start, I said, Marley, your girlfriend is this person. Like, you, your sister is this person. You play this, blah, blah, blah. I was actively, like remembering every conversation people had with me like but I didn't give a fuck like I don't sorry I don't Molly yeah. Yeah. no I love <laughs> Molly joking. he's my best friend but like I don't give a fuck who your girlfriend is like do you know what I mean but like so that was like also part of my game and yeah that is for your mental health but to be honest like really only like a few people I really was having those good relationships with like I wasn't actually like having to just do this to keep myself in the game like Mary, Marley and the Charlottes and Danny like I didn't really care about having good relationships with other people it was more just the game. But do you think that's a good parallel to the real world like you don't need like the big brother house is like it's a microcosm a microcosm of the real world all these different personalities so do you think it's a pretty good parallel to that that you don't need to have a million friends, you just need to have a few people around you who you can trust and who you can rely on when you are having those up and down days because I'm sure in the house there's some serious down days. Can you tell me about what was the toughest experience in the house? Um, Like, honestly, like, it was literally, like, my eviction. Like, I don't have really any memory of it. But it was so hard, like, obviously. But then to go out to somebody like Mary, who was, like, my second mum, that's why those relationships were so mm. important because then she'd been evicted, so she knew what it, like, it was like. But after, like, four days in that room... Yeah, do you want to explain what happened for your eviction? Because yeah. I'm sure not every listener would have watched Big Brother, but you got pretty stitched up yeah. at the end. So, like, three days before the end, like, one of my alliance, my good friend, who I would not have put up, I was protecting him and everything, like, Sid, I honestly, like, I would not have touched him, I thought... Mm. And he won the challenge and I was so excited. I was like, yeah. I'm here for another day. I'm going to be top seven. Like, there's four days left. There was four days mm. left of the show or something. So, or four or five, something like that. And then, yeah, Sid put me up and I was just, like, heartbroken. I was like, fuck. Like, that was my first, like, glimpse of the real world that people do what they need for themselves. Mm. Nobody cares about you. Because I genuinely, like, cared about this guy. I wouldn't have put him up, like... I didn't want him at the end with me, I would say that, but down the end, yeah, dog eat dog, but it didn't need to be done that early. Mm. I would have benefited his game anyway. But, yeah, so when he put me up, I just, I was, I went to the diary room and I just, like, said, like, 
goodbye. Like, I just knew I was going. There was no doubt in my mind. Um, and then, yeah, I got, went after I was evicted. Well, you got thrown a bone, like you said, because yeah. the producers love you. Because yeah. you played, that is a game. Like, as yeah. much as people are like, oh, that's unfair. They get another chance. It's like, well, 100%. the other one making the show get but, numbers. And yeah. that's what the show's for. But then, like, I'd won, like, eight challenges. Like, I'd broken the records and stuff. Like, and I was the youngest person. Like, not, like, cheating my own horn, but I deserved a second chance. No, for sure. Compared to other people. Yeah. So when I did get that second chance, I was put in that room for like two days by myself, like two or three days by the end of it, two nights by myself. Was it the three days in a room that was full mirrors, huh? Yeah, all mirrors and the lights didn't turn off, I might add. The that's lights like, were on surely the... that's really bad. I'm yeah, sure. What did your dad was. think of that after? Oh, my dad was like, fuck. Like <laughs> when, I, when the promos start coming out, because I just had to explain to my family. I couldn't yeah, actually yeah, yeah. say this is what it was. Like I just had to explain it. But when they saw it, they're like, I can't. Oh, it's hard to hard compare. To comprehend. But I looked it up and it was um, torture tactic, prisoner probably. of war technique used in Nazi yeah. Germany. Yeah, yeah, it was actually used like to torture people. And I was like, fuck. I honestly had no issues in there because I thought I was going back into the game mm. for that whole three days. So then when it was Russian roulette between myself and Ari, the other contestant, as to who was going back in, my gut, like this is what oh, I said, when you say trust yeah. your gut, your gut knows that entire time I knew I was gone. Like mm. you can see it on my face, you can see it in my eyes yeah, and then I finally pick up the box and it was so heavy because all the other boxes were like, and this box just had this fat red diamond in it. And I already knew. And you can see, like, I've like people say you see the light go out of someone's eyes, but, like, the light was actually gone in my eyes. I see the videos and I'm like, oh, my God, like, it's like I'm dead. Like, I basically mm. felt dead. I felt like I've been shot. Like, like, when my grandparents died and stuff, like, I've had, like, a few people close to me die. It didn't feel like anything. It didn't mm. even compare which is so crazy because that just shows you what that environment does to you. Oh, and it shows how much it meant to you because you did touch yeah, on that did, before. Yeah. It's like, it's so important to you. Let's talk now. How different is life now that you're out of the house? And what was, this is something I wanted to chat to you about. What was that buffer period like between getting out of the house and it airing? How long was it? And then it's like, you're like, mm, well, I'm a bit, maybe not famous, but I'm about to be in the limelight. I've already finished the show. I know how I've gone. I know how everyone else has gone like, how hard is it keeping that secret? <laughs> so no one's ever asked me that. That's actually a very good question. But it's so we. I got out. I suck at secrets. Yeah. So I would be so bad. Well, you've signed an NDA. Oh, you've signed so, so many because people can bet on yeah. it and stuff. But yeah. Yeah, but so I got out December 15 and I came home to all these messages. like. Oh, and, you, and we're in lockdown here, eh, with COVID? Yeah, but they all knew because the security at the house had told people that I was in it, so it had gotten out. So I'm now dealing with the fact that I'd just been evicted and fucking traumatised from that. I'd also gone to back to my shit life with, like, no friends and, like, not going out or anything, so that was bad as well. Hmm. So I'd gone back to that. Then I'm dealing with producers, like, and the publicists and stuff, and I'm like, I promise I haven't told anyone. Like, this genuinely is just, like... Oh, so it, it got out that you are in That's what the I'm house. saying. It was leaked because of the security and multiple people, producers were from the Northern Beaches. Mm. So people obviously don't, they're not going and telling the media and stuff, but, oh, I, I'm just going to quickly tell my brother. My brother tells his best friend. My best friend's 
oh, don't tell anyone, but, mm. you know, then everyone knows. So that was I feel like very it always stressful. Leaked. I knew multiple people that were going into the house. Once I got told about it, I had like Chinese whispers from other people. Like, yeah. I had like three friends that I thought were going to be in the house that didn't end up being in there that I was like, oh, I thought they were going to be in there. But anyway, it's a, uh, yeah, so yeah. that buffer period was interesting, huh? Yeah, no, it was interesting. And then the next thing that happens is the promo gets released and my face is in it and like my thing that's like I'm going to act dumb and play smart and my face is in it, my voice is in it, but they haven't released my name. So then for like a month and a bit, I'm waiting for my personal promo Uh because they've just seen my face and I'm still not allowed to tell people I'm on the show, even though my face and my voice is in the goddamn first promo. But don't like media work out who you are straight away from that. Yeah, so they did figure it out, but I was still (laughs) in the position where I'm not allowed to tell anyone, so I was like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah, you got people calling you to ask you about it, but you're like not allowed to actually say it to you. Yeah, and imagine like your parents and your brothers are all so excited, so they're like, I want to tell people. they can't tell anyone either, because obviously they Mm -hmm. know, but it's like... And and then my brothers... My mum would tell everyone. Yeah, that's the thing, they're gossipers. (laughs) My mum wants to tell everyone as well. I'm like, shut up, bitch. (laughs) Oh, okay. So once it's aired, how different's life now? You're yeah. happier now? So much happier. And Not because of the fame, but because no, no, no. people get to see who you are, it sounds like. Yeah, no. And it was just such a... I'm not happy because of any of that stuff. Like, my life is better for it. But I'm happy that I understand the world. Like, I'm 21 years old and the shit that you go through in there is nothing compares. Like, honestly, nothing. Death, like I was saying to you, nothing is... As there's no life lessons that could come in the world that came in that 58-day period. Like, I learned everything. I'm so, like, emotionally aware and emotionally intelligent from that. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but that is why my life is better. I don't trust people. I don't fuck with people that are fucking me over. Like, if you screw me over, goodbye. Mm. Like, the second Sid put me up for eviction, my whole world changed. The second I was physically evicted... My whole world changed. Suddenly, people cannot be trusted and suddenly good people don't get what they deserve. People who deserve things don't get... You don't win in the end. Like, it just... Like, that's what I thought. I thought, you deserve something, you get it. Like, Mm. it's yours. But that's not the case. And that is really good for me to know now. Like, for a 21-year-old to understand the stuff that I understand, I'm so better for it. Do you know Mm. what I mean? For sure. Yeah. So watching you in the house, like I'm super inspired by, and now even on social media, how unapologetically you are yourself. Where does that confidence come from? It sounds like you pretty much just answered that. It came from the house, yeah? Well, I had it my whole life, but obviously nobody ever saw it, like mm. because you weren't watching me on national TV. Like I always was like that. I think like ADHD just, I just accept that I just say the shit that I think and it just like whatever consequence comes with it, comes with it. And you know what? I don't care if people like me. That's the thing. Everyone wants approval from people. I don't care if you don't like me. I don't care if you don't want to talk to me. Like, you know, like, that's the thing. So I'm, like, one of those people you love or you hate. I see such, like, awful comments about me and I laugh about it. Mm. But that's the difference with me. People get so cut over that stuff. I laugh about it. You just have to take the piss, you know? Exactly. It's like you don't know who I... Like, if somebody hasn't met you, for anybody to judge based on what they've seen, for one on a TV show or on social media, it's like, all right, let me have a look at your social media profile and then make a judgment on you and see how you like it. You don't... I don't know you. I'm not going to judge you. It's so, like, it's such a 
immature way to look at the world and online bullying and oh it's just like it boils my blood knowing how common it happens but yeah what's your experience been like with online bullying the funniest thing is the trolls always have in their bio be kind or like some shit like that (laughs) they're like love others so you can love yourself like what are you talking about you literally just told me i'm like some skanky slut from the northern beaches i'm like what do you mean yeah you haven't even met me i've been in been in a shell for the last two years struggling and you're telling me i'm a slut from the northern beaches yeah like it's so funny to read and it doesn't impact me like i don't care like i'm very grateful for that but i can see you can see how that would get to some people what do you put that down to because there's probably a lot of young girls out there listening or anybody listening who do get affected when people say negative stuff. I mean, sure, I mean, I every now and then you still read the stuff and as much as you can brush it off, it still hurts every now and then. But what's what advice do you have for someone who does get quite affected by it? Yeah, you just have to take the piss. Like, genuinely, <laughs> life is a joke. Like, life's going to fuck you before, like, anything else. Like, you just have to get on with it. Like, you don't want to sit there sobbing. Like, I've dealt with so many people. I know so many people and their stories from these shows and stuff now. And it literally put them in a ditch. And I'm like, how are you going to enjoy this, like, amazing experience? Like, but that's just the same with life. People don't realise how short life is. Like, Mm. it's so long, but it's also so short. So, like, you just can't care about that stuff, you know? Like, the only one that ever got me was someone said, it's crocodile tears. And I was like, fuck you, because I cry once a year. Like, I don't cry. Like, I'm a very tough person. But besides that, like, you just laugh at it. Like, who has the time to do that, Mm. you know? And it's not personal. They don't know you. I mean, it probably is my friends writing it on burner accounts. But (laughs) yes, it is. Trust me, sometimes I'm like, I get a hate message and I'm like, I know who you are. You reckon? Yeah, 100%. Oh, that's so toxic. Yeah, it's fucked. And, like, stuff gets leaked to the media. And I'm like, nobody else would know that besides this person and i'm like so that's from you thank you no way Mm -hmm. oh that's disgusting yeah it is so bad but it is what it is people look for any opportunity out Mm -hmm. there nowadays huh all right i've got a few little questions to finish with yeah what inspires you um or who inspires Hilton inspires me but i I just did a campaign for fucking paris hilton's new show last night and like last yeah yes no the other day like that was the first time and i was like oh my god like Dreams do come true. Your manifestations can mm. come true. Because out of this whole thing, I was like, my manager was like, what do you want? I was like, the one thing I want is somehow to do a Paris Hilton campaign. And then on Monday, I got it. And I was like, I was like, holy fuck. Like, I like, had no words because, like, they bought the pink stretch hummer. Like, they no. bought the fake invitation to her wedding. Like, they bought three, two hours. And they're, like, dressed like Paris, like, act like Paris. And I was like, oh, my God, like. How crazy is it to be doing that campaign for Hey You, which in hindsight is for a person that I'm, like, obsessed with and, like, inspires me more than anyone else. So I was like, holy shit. Like, that was cool. And what inspires you about her? Um, Her, like, she took her opportunity, like, she took her family's fame and she did something with it. She had that one little opening and she didn't just take her grandfather's money she didn't just take her dad's money she has made like 18 businesses or something she's like made so much money she's doing everything she loves she's also doing her music like 
and she talks about the mental health side of things. She knows when to put on that persona, but she also knows when to take it off. And I'm just like, I'm literally so inspired by this person. Like, she is so bloody cool. Okay, so what's five-year plan for Tilly? What do you got coming up? What's the goals coming up and how are you going to achieve them? So, goals at the moment is my business, which is like in homewares and stuff. That's my main priority at the moment, trying to get that running. Um, I also really want to travel. I'd like to finish uni, potentially. Don't know, don't really care if my business works. I'm planning on making a second business. Like, I've already got these things in the works. So, yeah, it is business. And it's like you said, I don't need the education for it. So, that's the plan. And just, I want to do a podcast as well. That's pretty much it. Nice. Yeah. I think you'll do good at a podcast. You're a good speaker. Yeah, I'll talk shit. Yeah, ent- yeah entertaining, <laughs> but talk shit as yeah. well. Nah, it's good. All right. Last question I love to ask everyone on this yeah. podcast. What does being a good human mean to Tilly? Um, being a good human is not trying to be good to everyone. It's focusing on having quality relationships with the people that you care about and making sure that you enhance their life because they're enhancing the value of your life because you can't focus on being good to everyone. So focus on the people that actually matter and have that small like group of friends and that'll like enhance your life. I love that. Yeah. Very well said. Well, thank you so much for coming on Good Humans podcast. It's nice to be back recording and back speaking to amazing, inspiring people just like yourself. And yeah, any last words for the listeners? No, thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy your day, everyone. And yeah, that was Tilly Whitfield. This has been a Wellbeing Network podcast. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.